you on uh, braving the cold uh, to be here. You must really love my teaching, so thank you. Um, <laughs> uh, no, it's, it actually feels not too bad. Um, if you think about how hot it gets in the summer, um, this is actually kind of nice. There's no wind, for the, at least for now. There's no precipitation, at least for now. So, but uh, do please, please be careful. You're driving, uh, but it's very good to see you. Uh, very good to be with you. Uh, we're going to look at day four today. Um, just to give you a heads up for next week, Lord willing, uh, we're going to pause um, on the days of creation. I would like to stop for a minute and look at the different interpretations of the creation week coming from Christians. So there are different interpretations of uh, the week of creation from solid, reformed uh, Christian scholars and teachers. And um, so I, I think it would be fun to look at those and just think about that for a minute. Uh, and there are some other things, too, maybe if we have time next week, uh, I'd like to uh, maybe think about, too. So, uh, but today we'll look at day four, um, Genesis uh, 1, we're, uh, beginning in verse 14. Um, if you would... Uh, join me in prayer. Let's start our day with prayer. Let's pray together, friends. Our Father and our God, we do thank you for this day and your mercies that are new every morning. As we uh, feel uh, the cold on our skin, we uh, think about uh, how you uh, bring the sun and rain and the heat and the cold in accordance with your divine uh, will and in accordance with your wisdom. And so... Um, we praise you, Father, for your power at work in creation, uh, both at the beginning of time and even today, as you sovereignly order all things. We thank you for this time you've given to us to study um, what you did in the beginning and um, to grow in our knowledge of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray that you would bless us today in, in his name. Amen. All right, Genesis uh, 1, uh, verse 14, and God said, separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth and it was so. Alright, we're on day four, middle of the week. Uh, almost to the end. Uh, this includes, day four includes the creation of the sun, the moon, and the stars. These heavenly bodies, if you think about it, they take us back to day one and day two, which um, the work that was done on day one and day two is mentioned actually here in these uh, verses. Uh, on day one and day two, if you remember, God created light and he separated the light from the darkness. He called the light day and the darkness he called night. That was day one. And then on day two, he created the expanse. That's or we could call it the sky, which he called the heavens, um, to separate the waters from above from the waters below, and he called the expanse uh, heaven. And so we have both products of these two days mentioned repeatedly here uh, in these verses. Let there be lights in the expanse, which he created on day two, of the heavens to separate day and night, something that he did on day one. We'll talk about that in a minute. Let them be lights, in the, again, the expanse of the heavens to give light uh, upon the earth. Um, and actually, there's, there's a 
pretty good, very good article in uh, our New Horizons. I believe it's the most recent, um, the most recent uh, edition of our magazine um, about uh, that. M it mentions something about the expanse and the, the heavens being called the heavens and seeing the glory of God in, in the sky and the heavens. Um, so I, I would commend that to you. It's either the latest one or the uh, previous month. Um, okay, so these are the, the heavenly bodies that God created on day four, and they draw us back to day one and day two. And so the heavenly bodies then here that are created, they adorn the expanse not only with beauty, right? Remember, the expanse was simply a separation of what was above and what was below. Now God is, in a way, decorating that expanse, decorating the heavens. He's adorning it with beauty, but he's also giving creation the light necessary for the regular rotation of day and night and the regular pattern of time, weeks, months, and years. And he's providing this world with the heat from the sun that's necessary uh, for the sustenance of life. The sun and moon are portrayed here, if you think about it, they're portrayed as God's instruments. He's doing what he pleases with them. He creates them. He sets them. They're like his tools. Uh, Calvin uh, said that the sun and moon are, are like God's charioteers, and so Imagine light is created and then he puts light in a chariot and sends it into the world uh, by way of the sun and the moon. That's how uh, Calvin uh, described it. If you think about, uh, think about also the rest of Scripture, you think about Matthew 5. Uh, Jesus says this, He makes His sun rise on the evil and the good. God is at work every single day. He makes the sun rise. Uh, he gives light to the evil and the good. Um, uh, or Psalm 104, he made the moon to mark the seasons. The sun knows its time for setting. And so as glorious as the sun and the moon are, there's one more glorious who does what he pleases with these uh, heavenly bodies. All right, so uh, the creative actions of day four uh, that are listed here would, of course, repudiate uh, the sun and moon worship that was present in uh, the pagan nations or among the pagan nations and the obsession or worship of the stars and the planets, as they called them, uh, by the pagan nations. Think about Deuteronomy 4. This is what God says to his people. Uh, about God is speaking to his people and he's warning them when they, about when they enter the promised land. He says, beware lest you raise your eyes to heaven see the sun, moon, and stars, and all the host of heaven, you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them. So he gives his people a warning. Don't be beguiled too much by the stars and the sun and the moon and the heavens. There's a propensity for man to worship these things. Uh, these, these verses would also repudiate the idolatrous obsession with the stars, both in the ancient world, which it was present then, and in our day as well. We still think, many people still think, that knowledge of the stars, the sun, and the moon can give us wisdom on earth, can guide us. Um, 
And uh, this is very clearly warned about in Scripture. You might think about Jeremiah 10. This was later in Israel's history. He says, Learn not the way of the nations, nor be dismayed at the signs of the heavens, because the, because the nations are dismayed at them. They are beguiled by the stars. They're obsessed with them. Um, this is a quote from uh, Stephen Hawking. He wrote a book called The Brief History of Time, um, which sold millions and millions and millions of copies around the world. Uh, he was a famous physicist. Um, some of you might have heard of him. You know, he, was, he was a quadriplegic. He was confined to a, a wheelchair. And, um, um, he's still well known today. He says, he says this, uh, today we still yearn to know why we are here and where we came from. Humanity's deepest desire for knowledge is justification enough for our continuing quest, our, our continuing obsession with the stars. That's what it's a part of. And our goal is nothing less than a complete description of the universe we live in. Now, that's just another way of saying our goal is to be like God, right? To have his knowledge, to have a complete understanding of the stars. Now, Stephen Hawking is regarded as one of the most brilliant, having one of the most brilliant minds that has ever existed. But you can see there what, what's really happening at, at, at root in some of this. Um, the study of the heavens, uh, when we think about you know, astronomy, whatnot, I think John Calvin says it best here. He says, uh, he said we should not completely reject the work of astron astronomers. He says, because some frantic persons are quick to reject whatever is unknown to them. Right? For astronomy is not only pleasant, but also very useful to be known. It cannot be denied that this art unfolds the admirable wisdom of God. And so, again, we mentioned this last week. There's a balance, right? Um, there is an idolatrous obsession with the stars that we want to avoid. And yet, also, we don't want to completely reject uh, the study, uh, on, in some, on some level, the study of, of the heavens, of the created world. That reveals the wisdom of God, the beauty of God. You know, where, where you draw the line, that might be a little bit more difficult to determine, but um, uh, these are the things we have to think about. Uh, I'll stop there for uh, a minute. I want to get into a, an obvious question that is raised here as we I'll look at these verses, but I'll stop to see if everybody's on board. You have questions, thoughts? Yeah, Unha. Yeah, okay. Okay.
Sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good question. Okay. So tell me if I'm getting your question right. I think there's two of them. One of the questions was, what happened to the waters above? Right? They're, never, they're not mentioned again, right? And then the second question is, uh, the expanse, you said, seems to, it seems to indicate that he created the entire universe, or, or not the universe, but the entire uh, sky or space, as we typically call it today, right? You know, all, all everything. That, you know, if there are millions of galaxies out there, that's that's when he made them uh, on day two when he made the expanse. Is that your are those your questions? Okay, uh, very good question. Um, questions. The first question would be, uh, where are the waters ab above? Why are they not mentioned again? Um, Calvin seems to think that the waters above uh, refer to clouds. Uh, that's one interpretation. Um, other than that, I don't know. Um, I guess one could make the argument that there might be waters, some type of waters above in the third heaven. Uh, you know, Paul mentions a third heaven in the New Testament. Um, certainly, the heavens extend far beyond what we can see, right? Um, and it seems as though the clouds, there's a limit to the what the clouds do. Um, I'm not sure. I don't know. I do know that, um, and we'll talk about this next week, and we've talked about this before, but I think we want to keep the focus on what the text is intended to do and who, is it, who it's for. It's for regular people who exist on earth, whose feet are flat on the ground, right? And they look up and they see the heavens. That, that's who Genesis 1 is for primarily. It's not for, uh, you know, the modern-day uh, skeptic or the modern-day astronomer who knows all about, or thinks he knows, or claims to know all about the sun, the moon, and the stars, things like that. Although it is for him, too, right? Um, and so we want to keep, keep that in mind. Uh, the Bible is meant to reveal the salvation that's offered to man in Jesus Christ. It's not meant to give us a full, detailed account of, of what exists up there, out there. So, again, I don't know. I don't know what the, the, fully what the waters above are. I, I would probably say that they're the clouds, and I'd be content with that. Are there other waters above? Don't know. The second question is, um, um, what was the second question about uh, the expanse? Uh, again, I I'm not really sure. Uh, it seems to indicate that um, he's talking about space, the sky, which separates uh, the waters below from the waters above. When I'm standing on the ground and I look up, that's what I see. When I go outside, I see an expanse. I see clouds, I see separation, um, and so uh, I believe that's, that's, what that, that's what that indicates. So, would that make, does that make sense? Or, <laughs> I, I know it, I, I'll, I'll just say that some of these questions, you're probably not going to be happy with my answer or satisfied. I, because simply, I, I don't know. God just doesn't give us, God just doesn't, 
he doesn't give us the details. And I'm hesitant, I'm hesitant to go to a place where God hasn't led me. Um, that, so that, that's all I can say. Uh, yeah, I do know that he created all things, and he's before all things. Now, Scripture is very clear about that. So let's see, who, who is for us? I see Shara's hand, but I think Tom had his hand up first, yeah. That's interesting. It is. A, it is a theory. Yeah. point. That's very good. Don. Oh, I'm sorry. Don, go ahead and then I'll get you, Shara. Did you have a question, Don? Okay, good. Good. Okay, well, good. Okay. Um, I passed the test, I guess. <laughs> uh, no, I'm, but I'm being honest. I, I, I mean, uh, I don't know, right? I, I think that you, you agree with that that's a good answer because as, as all of us are Christians, we look at it and we're just, we're not quite given everything, everything that we might want to know. Yeah, Shara. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, that's good. Very good. Well, thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, I'll try to. I'll try to repeat. Uh, Shara said um, she mentioned the fact that uh, scientists uh, see rings. They study trees. They see rings in trees that appear to give evidence of a long history of those trees, right? Which would indicate what exactly? I see. Okay. Yeah. So a greenhouse effect. So um, a water canopy that's would extend into previous ages, right? Which would indicate um, waters above, right? Waters, waters above and waters below. Yeah. Han. Hubble, yeah, yeah. Sure, that's a good point, Han. Uh, you, have, you bring up an excellent point. Um, uh, yeah, maybe at times to say uh, we don't know, maybe we are being influenced by uh, the claims of science, uh, the claims of uh, you know, modern astronomy, and um, we're beguiled by the technology that um, we're able to use. Maybe we are in infected by that a little bit, influenced, influenced by that. Um, uh, and so, and we, we should be skeptical of those things. Um, you know, I did, I did look, actually, you mentioned Hubble. There's a new one, the, uh, James Webb. That's a James Webb telescope that they sent out. Um, I looked into that. If you, if you, it doesn't take long. If you look into it, 
And the pictures that they send, they're all, they're all doctored. They're all, they've all been reshaped. They've put colors into them. And if you look at the colorful images from these telescopes, that's not what they get. They get black and white um, uh, images. So there, I think there's reason to be skeptical of what the claims that they're making. Um, you know, I, I do still think a little bit, even without their, without their claims, we're, we're not given everything. Uh, you know, perhaps, yeah, perhaps we do need to be more um, accepting of the waters. There could be waters above, and just because we haven't seen them doesn't mean they're not there. Um, well, I do know, though, what, what seems to be clear for every generation of man that's lived on Earth is that you look up, and you see waters above, you see clouds. That is indisputable. Um, and you see stars, indisputable. You see the sun, the moon, indisputable. That's who this is for, uh, I, I think. And so um, I think it, I think scripture, and I think this is what you're trying to claim on, is that scripture gives us uh, boundaries. And the moment that man starts to try to break through those boundaries and have eternal knowledge of everything, that's when we start to get in trouble. And we do get, we do get infected by their, the, at, at times, yeah. Yeah. Exactly.
saying that um, scientists, uh, astronomers, they can't prove that there aren't waters above, right? And what verse day two seems to indicate is that God created the whole space, as we call it, and he put the sun and the moon in there, and then there's, there must be waters above, you know, quote unquote, above there somewhere that we haven't seen or don't know about, right? Um, at least in terms of what we can actually experience. Um, it's a possibility, yeah. Rich. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. 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 I think that. Yeah. Sure. 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 Yeah. So again, yeah. Again, I think Rich, you bring out the point that we just. I think we need to have a healthy balance, right? Um, I think there, you know. There's the opportunity to study, as we study creation in whatever field, there's the opportunity to see more and more of God's power, his wisdom, his beauty. Um, there is a boundary. There, the, uh, I mean, God says it clearly, like in Job and other places. Um, 
do you know where light comes from? Do you know the origin of light? You don't. You will never know. Um, uh, the more we learn, the more we realize that the more we realize what we don't know and understand. And so, uh, yeah, that's a good. I think I like the way you said it. We, um, I'm not afraid of astronomy. I think I think it's a good way to put it. Okay, maybe one more, uh, Jeff. Yeah. Um, that's a good point. Uh, so Jeff is saying that Stephen Hawk, a person like Stephen Hawking is more of a philosopher than a scientist. And that, that may be true. I, I would agree with you. Um, you know, however, if you look at other scientists who maybe claim to or at least try their hardest to completely reject any type of philosophy about the world, you can never fully escape that. You do your science, you do whatever you do, inside of a whatever you believe about the whole world. And so uh, science can never be, um, it can never be ultimately divorced from some type of belief about, or a philosophy about uh, what, um, where the world came from and where we're headed. Now, uh, you know, Stephen Hawking may be obviously more in the philosophy camp for sure. Um, but I think it's important for Christians to understand that, right? That, um, a scientist, no matter who they are, whatever we do, um, you know, construction worker, I mean, anything that you do, it's never done in a vacuum. We never parent, we never deal with other people in a, in a vacuum that doesn't include something that we believe about where we came from and where we're headed, why we're here. It's all tied together. That's why God holds man accountable. Uh, when he does his work and he rejects God. He doesn't worship him um, because he's clearly revealed in creation. So I, I do think we need to um, keep, that, keep that in mind. All right, let's, um, I don't want to, I would rather not um, spend another class on day four, <laughs> um, but this has all been very good conversation. Let me try to wrap this up. Um, one thing is very clear here, that God made uh, the sun to rule the day the moon to rule the night. God is the Lord over time. He is not bound by time. He was in the beginning. He was and is and always will be. He is not bound by time. He rules over time. And he uses his sun and the moon to do that for man. Our days, our years, our weeks are determined by him. They're ruled by him. Um, so that's one thing that comes out. Um, the next thing is that uh, a question might be raised. I thought one of you might ask this, but God says he separates the day and the night here by the sun and the moon. Well, I thought he did that on day one. He, he called the light day and he called the darkness. 
at night. Well, he did. But here on day four, he seems to collect the light into one source for us, and the sun, and then a secondary light source in the moon. What does seem to be the case is that the darkness in day one was without a light. Um, now we have a light at, at night. It's a night light. God gave us a night light. So um, the greater, greater light to rule the day, the lesser light uh, to rule the night. God rules over time. Um, let's see. Um, I'll skip uh, that. Uh, I guess to here, maybe this will be helpful. Notice here that um, uh, notice here that the stars that we've been talking about, they're almost an afterthought. The focus is on the sun and the moon, which we very clearly see and determine that our days and years. Verse 16, God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser light to rule the night, and the stars. I mean, they're glorious, uh, but they're not to be, we're not to be obsessed with them, right? They're beautiful. Uh, they're enjoyable to s- sit outside and look at them. We can study them, their movements. Some of them do move uh, or appear to move from our perspective. Um, but they're not to be worshipped. We're not to be obsessed uh, with them to the point that we worship them, as, as Han pointed out uh, earlier. They're beautiful, but they lead us to something even more beautiful. Uh, last thing I want to say is this. Um, think about how the Bible uses the beauty of the great lights and the stars to describe the way in which God beautifies us. Right? Think about Song of Solomon, chapter 6. Solomon is delighting in his bride, um, but this is, could also be understood as the way in which God delights in us, his bride. He says, Who is this who looks down like the dawn, beautiful as the moon, bright as the sun, awesome as an army with banners? Right? Um, uh, or you might think about Revelation 12. He, uh, John saw a sign in heaven, it was a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and her, on her head a crown of 12 stars. Now it's interesting that the sun, moon, and stars are all mentioned there, all together in Revelation 12 when John sees that vision. Where else do we see that? Here in Genesis 1, sun, moon, and stars. Well, what's happening in Revelation 12? Uh, the beauty of God's church is being described on some level, right? And so as, as glorious and as beautiful as the sun and the moon and the stars are, again, they point us to something better, right? Something greater. The glory that God will clothe us with in the age to come. And Jesus uh, comes, comes again. And so I think maybe if we could summarize some of the things that we've talked about. You know, there's a beauty, there's a, there's a power and wisdom to be uh, seen and to to be amazed at in the heavens. Uh, And yet, there's a limit, right? Uh, There should be a limit for us. It leads us to something even even better, something glorious. Um, The sun and moon aren't eternal. The stars, they're going to be done away with. He just, as easily as God put them in the sky, he's going to take them out. He's going to darken the sun one day and give us a, uh, a new light. And so, we, as Christians, I think we need to always keep that uh, keep that in mind when we think about the heavens and the heavenly bodies. Okay, uh, any 
concluding thoughts or questions? What do you think? We could talk about this a long time, huh? Carolyn. When we get to chapter two, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, the Bible's divided into two chapters, but if you read the whole thing, you know, uh, the story of the Bible, yeah, exactly. That's a good point. Yeah, we're only in chapter one of a very long book, right? Yeah. So, we need to get into chapter two, and maybe some things will open up for us a little. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah. We'll get we'll get there, Lord willing. Anything else? Yeah, sure. No, it's okay. We're not dragging it out. It's okay. It's good. That's right. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, so uh, Shara brings out the point that uh, God created light, and that seems to indicate that um, by the presence of light, darkness was there now. Um, now, that's a good point. It's something I skipped over, but you think about the, the difference between light and darkness and the way that the Bible uses light and darkness later on, right? It uses the idea of light and darkness, even the sun um, and stars, to point to a moral light, right? A moral purity, right? Uh, And a moral impurity or immorality. Separate yourself from the darkness of this age, right? People are in love with the darkness. That's not talking about physical darkness. That's talking about moral darkness. And so I think Carolyn brought up a good point. Let's, let's bring in the rest of the Bible and think about, put this in a, a bigger picture. It's not just about giving us the physicality of what happened on the first week of creation. It's a preparing us to think about our place in this world as Christians. We are light in Christ, and we are called to separate ourselves uh, from the darkness, the, the moral darkness of this age. And so, um, yeah, thank you. Good point. All right, let's, let's stop there. We, maybe we can uh, bring, bring this back in at a later time. Let's pray together, friends. Uh, Father, we love you and thank you, Lord, for your uh, mercy to us in your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for the Word of God and uh, for the truth that's revealed to us here. We do pray that you would uh, help us, Lord, to put these things in the proper places in our minds and our hearts. And uh, above all, we do pray that you would lead our hearts to the glory of God. Christ, who reigns over all things, the sun, the moon, and the stars, and who is coming again to usher in and give us a new heavens and a new earth. Father, prepare our hearts for worship, we pray now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thank you all very much.